0: Welcome to this APTA podcast. Welcome to PTJ author interviews. PTJ editor-in-chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty.
1: Hello, I want to welcome listeners to this latest PTJ podcast. This is Alan Jetty, editor-in-chief of PTJ. And today I'm very pleased to welcome as my guest, Dr. Christopher Bice. He's on faculty at the School of Health and Rehabilitation Sciences at the University of Pittsburgh. Welcome, Dr. Bice.
0: Hi, Dr. Jenny, and thank you for having me this morning.
1: I'll give a little summary of your study, which I really enjoyed, and then we'll talk about it if that's okay.
0: That sounds great.
1: Uh, The purpose of the study was to examine the association between patient choice of first provider with healthcare utilization in the 12 months after the index visit for their episode. This was a retrospective analysis. The study included over 29,000 patients who were seeking care for a new acute episode of low back pain, and it covered the period of 2015 to 2018 and the data come from a large health insurance plan that serves over 1.7 million beneficiaries. The investigators analyzed whether or not the first provider seen, which they called portal of entry, was associated with the type and the amount of subsequent healthcare utilization in the 12 months after that index visit. And they looked at utilization for the low back, condition as well as for other outcomes. Let's start by talking about the portals of entry that these patients used. I was really interested, just with your descriptive findings, the top three portals of entry in this sample was 51% primary care, 17% chiropractic care, and 10% the emergency department, and that accounted for over 75% of the patients. Younger patients tended to choose chiropractic care, and women chose specialty care and physical therapy. I don't follow this literature as closely as I'm sure you do, but did the findings surprise you? They really did me.
0: Yeah, initially they did, to the point where I went back and I redid them just to make sure. Primary care, I think we all know that people seek care via primary care, and that was not really a surprise, especially since we used that as the index or the baseline for patients. But then to have chiropractic care pop up second um, was very much um, a surprise to me. And in some sort of anecdotal um, conversations and uh, looking through some of the literature, it appears that chiropractic care besides giving patients a solution that they've talked about, or chiropractors like to tell patients, this is what's going on with your pain. This is the solution. And patients are definitely looking for that solution. It also appears that chiropractors are very good marketers, especially when it comes to low back pain. That was really one of um, the findings that I thought, maybe this is regional um, as well, but I've also talked with some other insurance companies and, and analytics uh, p- uh, people at insurance companies, and they see actually higher incidences of chiropractic care, um, depending on ability as well. I think they're very good marketers when it comes to low back pain. Um, and besides the fact, they do make people feel better, um, especially some of the good chiropractors. And I think there's been certainly some sharp elbows, as um, Sharon Dunn likes to come. Um, thrown over the years between the chiropractic profession and the physical therapy profession. But just like physical therapy, there are good chiropractors, bad chiropractic, and the ones that are good work with word of mouth and are very good and get re-referrals as well. The other thing about that chiropractic number is, and one of the reasons that I did the study as well, is we don't have um, in-network chiropractors in that insurance company. Um, but we monitor and do cover chiropractic care. So it was one of the sort of bonus findings or, or one of the definite bones to working with the database that I did.
1: Well, it was interesting to go on to my next question. Those who chose chiropractic care as well as physical therapy as their portal of entry, they had lower risks for subsequent utilization, correct? So yeah, definitely, definitely there's something something good going on in terms of subsequent utilization in contrast to specialty care. Those who came through specialty care had the longest median length of, of an episode, 68 days, and they had an increased potential for utilization.
0: Yeah. And I think that's more from a standpoint of um, patients shop if they don't get better, um, and they will begin to shop or, um, as one of my colleagues likes to say, spin in the system. And if you start at specialty care, the solution may not be there for you. And you begin to spin in that system. And I think after doing some thinking about the study, both physical therapy and chiropractic care were non-interventionalists for the most part, Um In most places we can't prescribe drugs um, and in most places we don't have imaging rights either, um, but chiropractic care is also a point where imaging does not necessarily drive as much of their care as it used to. So their care is essentially manipulation-based along with exercise where physical therapy may be the reverse of that, where we're more exercise-based along with manual therapy-based but neither one of us has a solution that involves either injections or surgical care, so we're forced to use what we have there. And somewhat along those lines, in thinking about this a little bit deeper and one of the sub-investigations that I'd like to do in the future, maybe it's not the first person you see, but it's how quickly you get to the person who can end the episode of care as opposed to that first person. And I think chiropractors and physical therapists are very good at prescribing evidence-based programs that can end an episode of back pain or resolve it to what the patient feels either they've resolved or they've returned to their prior level of function.
1: In in contrast to just getting them out of the office. Right. Right.
0: And doing, doing something to them whether it be an injection or um, some other type of intervention. But I think the patient becomes dependent on it where, again, both chiropractic and physical therapy have an end in mind and want to get to the end of care. So we are seeking a way to get there
1: as well. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm biased, but I always thought, primary care would be the last choice that I would make if I had a low back uh, pain episode and 51% make that their first choice, which is really surprising to me. Well, let's continue this theme. The average total cost of care for all medical care was lowest in those who first sought care with chiropractic. It was 7,700 and change. And then second was physical therapy, 11,600 and change. Yep. So this goes along with what you were saying before, chiropractic and physical therapy's lowest cost, lowest subsequent utilization. Um, But chiropractic even um, was less costly than physical therapy, which, again, surprised me. Maybe it didn't you, but it did me. Um.
0: That was somewhat surprising, but when kind of dug down into it, um, chiropractors, uh, again, tend to use their hands um, a lot, so there were um, manual therapy-type charges and manipulation charges. Physical therapists, despite some of the evidence that's out there, um, continue to use a good bit of modalities um, as well. Along with that, the chiropractic episodes were a little bit shorter than the physical therapy um, episodes of care. and. We tried to control for some of the, the selection bias that you would have. And you noted earlier that women and younger patients tend to go after chiropractic and physical therapy to control for that. We tried to use some propensity scoring to, to try to control that selection bias. So I think we kind of controlled it, but I don't think you can ever truly control for choice um, at that point and truly control the economic issues as well.
1: You know, the the critic might say that, um, particularly with respect to specialty care as the portal, it's a function of different levels of severity. Were you able to control for that at all in your analyses? Yeah, again, and we
0: tried to create a measure, but uh, this was just a claims and administrative database, so I didn't have the luxury, I call it the luxury, (laughs) the the luxury of having outcomes data or um, pain scores, um, as I would have potentially on the provider side um, or if I had had a, a, a conglomerate provider side data. Um, so I couldn't speak to that. But again, we threw the kitchen sink at it when we created the the propensity model um, and tried to control for it as much as we could. But yeah, no. a, and that that really speaks to sort of the portals that people chose. And the third one you t- you mentioned, which was very much a surprise to me, especially the amount of patients that were going to um, was 10% to the ED. Yeah. And that was, that was very surprising to me from a perspective of, wow, some people really think that their pain is like, this is it. This is the end. I I'll go get some care immediately now. Whereas um, if the, the, literature, uh, if you follow the literature, it's somewhat less than two percent of all back pain that goes into the ED um, is actually um, a red flag issue, somewhere between two and seven between who
1: you read. The other finding that was really disturbing to me and and suggested something really wrong is going on here, you reported that 34 percent of the sample filled at least one prescription for opioids within the year following their index visit. And those um, rates were the highest for those who went to the emergency department, 55%, which really is consistent with what you were just saying. You go to the ED, they feel they have to do something, they'll give you an opioid prescription, and as well as specialty care, 39%, and lowest for chiropractic and physical therapy. But given what we know, about the opioid epidemic, how, how, how can that rate still be so high? what What's your thinking on that? Um, yeah,
0: that, and that surprised me too, because this was data from back in two thousand and seventeen and two thousand and seventeen and nineteen. and it was the five years before that that we had really been hammered with clinical practice guidelines. Opioids should never be a first line. Um, uh, first line of care. And I don't necessarily think it's drug seeking behavior on the part of the patients. I think it's an expectation on the part of the patients that I'm going to get something on the way of here, or I need something on the way out of here, or my pain is bad enough that I need an opioid prescription. And they're they're essentially just asking for it. Um, And I can't speak to emergency department function, but um, one of the other studies that came out of this was a look at Concord Care and the emergency department and looking at their knowledge of clinical practice guidelines of low back pain. And the knowledge of that is very low. And depending on the ED that you go to, you're likely to get, if you get that opioid prescription, your odds ratios begin to increase for both high cost imaging and injections um, as well, because those are the only things that are truly available to emergency room physicians. And it's not that emergency room physicians are bad doctors or negligent. um, They're just not prepared for musculoskeletal injuries when they're not broken bones or something else um, that they can truly intervene with.
1: Well, that's very kind of you to say. But as a physical therapist, if a patient comes to you with a condition that you're not prepared to deal with, what do you do? Screen
0: them and refer them out. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) To go one step further with that, that's how I teach my students as well. Screen for what should be in your office and the rest of it should go somewhere else.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Which is not what's happening. To go on to the next finding, 65% of the sample who saw the primary care physician or the surgeon as the portal of entry got an MRI over the next year. Uh, Overall, 51% got an MRI or a CAT scan. Again, given the existence of clinical practice guidelines and, and the existing evidence, that's a shockingly high percentage, don't you think?
0: Yeah. And again, those numbers were shockingly high enough that we went back and looked at them again to make sure that these numbers were correct. And we found that the patients usually in these situations were getting them early on. It was the patients with a longer episode of care that ended up having the MRIs. So the ones that began to spin in the system um, that didn't have answer for their pain. So And clearly, that's not rocket science right there. The longer the episode, um, the more utilization that they're going to have. So, And that brings up my point of maybe it's how do we get these patients to the provider that can end the episode of care quicker, opposed to beginning to affect their portals of entry and have to deal with patient choice at that point. That's a huge educational model. But then it goes back to what you said. What do you do when a patient comes in? you screen them, you look at where what they have, and then we get them to the right provider at this point.
1: Well, as you have pointed out, and as you talk about in your article, there's not a high degree of concordance when you look at practice for low back pain with existing clinical practice guidelines. And I think we have to be um, honest, and, and as you pointed out earlier, that those for physical therapy as well, with the continued use of a, a high degree of um, physical modality. So it's, you know, it's just not other uh, professionals. Right. So the clinical practice guidelines are out there. Your study clearly shows that uh, there's a high degree of discordance with those guidelines. So providing information is clearly not adequate. We know that. So what do we do, Dr. Bice? How do we how do we turn this around? We we know what what should be done, and it's not being done. How do we fix it? If if you're king for a day, how would you fix it?
0: I think I'd go after primary care. Um, that would probably be the first place that I'd go. Um, and we've speculated as to why um, primary care tends to keep musculoskeletal pain sort of in house. When you think about cardiac issues or respiratory issues, that's something that can kill a patient for the most part. But musculoskeletal pain, I think, is something that can be managed that is low risk for the primary care providers to sort of keep in-house at that point. Right now, I think the primary care model could use a little bit of an overhaul um, from a A musculoskeletal standpoint, but uh, one of the reasons that I did my PhD was to get physical therapists into asymmetric practice environments. Why aren't we embedded in primary care? Why aren't we the primary musculoskeletal provider of care? Um, Why aren't we embedded in the ED? And there's models all over the place. They're scattered, but why hasn't one completely taken hold inside of a health system? And I think it's the fee-for-service model right now that's one of the drawbacks and one of the issues as to why we can't get into those areas. How do we bill for this service? And we're so, as a society, a medical society, sucked into the fee-for-service model that changing changes to that are going to be very difficult. Um, What if we had a physical therapist who didn't bill for a fee-for-service and it was actually provided as a service in a primary care model. Could we bill for this? How would we how would we function from uh, as a both service and, uh, and to our patients? I, I really think the, the answer to that question would be it would be very different and very different looking. And the same with the emergency department. How would the emergency department look if we had a physical therapist on site twenty four seven? that was there to deal with musculoskeletal care. Let's put in MTALA to the side there, but imagine if we could have a change in MTALA to the point where you come in with musculoskeletal care, it's a stable issue. You might not even end up seeing a physician in the emergency department at that point and sort of moving in the direction away from that.
1: Well, your, your point is well taken and, and it it reminds me of what I've learned about uh, physical therapy uh, in the military. I mean, it, it's not yeah. just critical. Uh, there's an existing model that is doing, at least from my reading, it's doing what you're talking about, uh, where the physical therapist is very frequently the first line provider for military persons who have musculoskeletal pain issues. And it seems to work. Yeah, I-
0: I wrote an article with um, uh, Dr. John McGee a couple of years ago um, about a model just like that, where the referral immediately went to the physical therapist, where it didn't matter who the fir- first provider was of the day was it a physician, was it a, 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 a occupational therapy is sometimes the first provider of the day, um, or a PT, and they immediately referred back pain to physical therapy and noted a significant decrease in utilization, and I cited that in my study as well.
1: Well, Dr. Bice, thank you both for doing the study, publishing it in PTJ, and for taking the the time to talk about it. I I really encourage our listeners to take a look at the study. There's much more detail there, and um, I I really appreciate your your time and, and your energy in this area. Thank you.
0: Well, and I thank you and for having me on and publishing the article for me. I appreciate that.
1: Take care. Thank you.
0: You can find more APTA podcasts like this one on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts.
1: Thanks for listening.